Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. And the last time we covered chapter 5, and that was titled The Writing on the Wall, very, very famous portion of scripture. We actually get a term in our vernacular, the writing is on the wall, literally from that. A lot of people use it all the time and don't even know that that's what it comes from. But God was just ready to deal with Babylon, the king of Babylon, and he measured them, he numbered them, and he you know, weighed them and found out they came up wanting. Meeny, meeny, tekel, yefarsin. Uh, and I tell you what, there was just a lot to that message. Had a lot of people come up to me, a huge amount of people, and just talked about which different parts, parts of it ministered to them. This morning we're going to be in Daniel 6, which is your lion's den. Actually, it was Daniel's lion's den. But, you know, Daniel at this point is in his 80s, still going through trials. Oh, people have this, this impression of Daniel, almost, almost like this children's Bible storybook picture of Daniel with a bunch of cute little furry kittens in the lion's den, and they're purring, and he's petting them, and that's not the way it was. You know, it was serious. It was probably he thought this could be my last time. Maybe God won't spare me from the lions at this portion. However, Daniel had to learn things. You know, this built Daniel's character. He learned as he went through these trials. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, towards the end. But, you know, we go through trials too. And sometimes we go through trials and we read about Daniel or people in the Bible and we make an improper comparison that God was always on their side uh, helping them and making them prosperous. But we forget that these were literal trials. And we go through trials too. But what do we do with those trials? I believe that Daniel learned from every trial he went through and we should be learning from our trials. The tendency is to give up or to quit or feel God doesn't love me. Human nature. And that's what Satan wants us to believe. But the truth is he does love us. And uh, it is really the part of this character building and strength building and really a way to get closer to God. And I've got to be honest with you, in my own life, I've never been closer to God than when I've had trials. And that's the truth. Sometimes prosperity leads to, we think, you know, there's a little bit of pride mixed in with that. We think we got it okay. We run ahead of God. Not that we don't love him, but we're foolish enough to think that we shouldn't be relying on him for our every breath. So we'll put all that together, and we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. Starting with verse 1. It says, it pleased Darius. Darius was the king of the Medes. Medo-Persians take over from the Babylonians. Um, they split up and divide up Babylon. And Darius is, is really in, in the city of Babylon, and he's you know, trying to do his administrative work, you know, in freshly conquered city. So it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. You know, some ask, how do we do business in the world as Christians? I would just say, look at Daniel. So many lessons we can learn from him. Be honest, be faithful. 
Right away, Darius notices, or some people say Darius, doesn't matter, but he notices that Daniel is special. He has a gift. No doubt, Daniel shared his faith with the king, as he did to kings you know, in previously. So one thing, another thing about Daniel is not only was he good under authority, but he was also good about sharing his faith. You know, he was always faithful, and God knew he could count on him. So basically, you have 120 satraps, satraps or uh, divisional kind of rulers, and over those 120 were three governors, and over the three governors was uh, the king. Very good administrative. <laughs> you know, he was able to delegate authority, and this is what you have to do in any organization, including a church. A church. One person can't run it all. You know, there has to be this sort of pyramid of, of leadership and, you know, communication going up and down. So Darius is doing this, and he's, you know, making sure everything's going the way it's supposed to go. Now, a few books come to mind when I think of this, because now we're in the, the time of the Medes and the Persians. Right? If, you, if you're a little shaky with history, I would ask you to get Daniel starting from one all the way to the last one we went to because it'll really keep you up to speed. And I've made the case that when we witness to people, when we share our faith, history is a huge eye-opener for agnostics and atheists. You know, they, they don't realize how much punch is in the historic portion of these books in Scripture. Written by different people, different languages, different time periods, the book of Esther, right? Who remembers the book of Esther? This is, right? So it was written while the Persians were ruling. So the Medo-Persians, Persians are, are ruling, and, and in that book, King Xerxes or Ahasuerus uh, is on the throne. And if you go back to your history, you'll see all these different kings, Darius and Cyrus and Ahasuerus or Xerxes, depending on what language you're saying it in. Also Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah wants to go back from the Persian-dominated empire. And listen, I'm, I'm depressed. I'm sad. I mean, my city is in ruins, the city that I love. And Artaxerxes Longimanus, who's a historical figure, gives the decree to send them back. Again, it's all in history. Good stuff. Verse 4. We continue. <clears throat> so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Oh, would that be said of us? That would be a wonderful thing if that was on our epitaph, you know, our tombstone, um, that this is what the way we were in life, um, honoring the Lord and, and just being honorable. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So there's the conspiracy, right? Daniel's honest, he's faithful. And, and I hate, listen, even you look at our government, Every year they tell us how many billions of dollars are missing or wasted. That's frightening. Those are uh, staggering, breathtaking numbers, billions of dollars. So you look at any government, and over time there's, take a little from me, I do a favor for you. It's, it's horrible. But this is what's going on, and to a certain extent, as it does in every government, and, but the king realizes in Daniel, he doesn't have that issue. So the other ones get jealous and say, this is a problem. He's, he's kind of hurting our money-making scheme. And I'm paraphrasing. And the king wants to promote Daniel. Listen, if we are struggling in the workplace and we get fired, hopefully if we're let go, it's because we're honest. We're God-fearing people. I mean, there is no honor, there's no glory, there's no, it's actually, it should be embarrassing and a bad witness to the Lord if we're lazy, tardy, or stealing. 
But we shouldn't be surprised if we're, if we're fired just because a person doesn't like us, maybe because we're too honest and we're too God-fearing. So we need to put that in perspective. And when you look at politics, right, there's professionals out there to try to sabotage you, you know, if you're a whatever, you know, if you're on a different party than them and they go into your past. And sometimes in politics, they can't discredit a certain candidate, so they, they'll use their faith against them because the world doesn't like Jesus is the only way. It bothers them. It irritates them. It, it negates all the false religions and cults out there. And people feel good about their religions and their cults. It makes, there's a sense of family. There's a sense of I'm doing something. But the Lord is saying, John 14, I'm the only way. The, the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So if we believe that and they find that out, they're probably going to get irritated. Okay? The world has disdain for that. But as the saying goes, now if we were in Syria or Iraq, would there be, if, if Christianity was illegal, as it is in many nations... Would there be enough faith or enough evidence, excuse me, to have us arrested and convicted? Well, we don't have that in America, but we should still ask ourselves that question. If I was in a country where I was, Christianity was illegal, would they be able to take me away in chains and throw me in prison or worse because there was enough evidence in my life that I was a believer in Jesus Christ? Right? So let it be said of us, like Daniel, that they couldn't find fault in us that they have to go after our faith. Verse 6. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to them, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So these, these um, detractors of Daniel are very smart. They use Darius against the Darius. And I've got to tell you something. Sometimes in life, it isn't from the outside that we're getting grief from. It isn't from the outside that is causing our problems. We have to look no further than the person in the mirror. Sometimes we are the ones that are giving ourselves the most trouble. It's not from the outside. You know, there's times that we can have, be blessed by God and, um, and lose those blessings because of paranoia or fear or something from our past that just keeps hindering us. But for Darius... Maybe he was insecure deep down inside. Maybe he felt it, and I see maybe, that the Persians were always better and they were, the Medes were always in the shadow. And from history, you could almost see that. I don't know, but I do know that they used pride against the king and he fell right into the trap and signed the, his own decree that caused problems that he couldn't undo. And we'll look at that. Sometimes a solid pastor in the beginning, over time, because of flattery, starts to become soft in their messages. You know, they, they like the accolades. It's almost like positive reinforcement. You give a sermon that's convicting and not a lot of people say stuff. You give a sermon that's, that's uplifting and everybody comes. And this can happen over years. And that person, through, through subtle behavior modification, starts to become soft because they like to hear those accolades. That's pretty sad. Alistair Begg said about flattery, I love this. He said... He said about flattery, it's like perfume. Sniff it, don't drink it. You know what I'm saying? 
Okay. In Nebuchadnezzar 2, you see how all these chapters are inextricably linked together. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he said, he, Daniel explained the dream to Nebuchadnezzar and said, there's a kingdom that's going to be coming that's inferior to yours. And the inferiority keeps going down in the sense that the Babylonians had ultimate authority. So if they, the king made a law and then he decides it's not a good law, I can retract it. In the Medo-Persian system, when they made a law, it couldn't be retracted. Okay? And there was a process, I guess, you had to go through to get rid of it. So the king gets trapped in this own law, saying, yeah, sure, for 30 days, let everybody petition me. Let everybody worship me as a god. I like that. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So the question is, and and this is great because I love taking something that God wrote over 2,000 years ago and saying, well, how good does it apply to me in 2015? Very simple. How do I express my faith? Well, let's look at Daniel. He didn't flaunt it, but he also didn't hide it. Flaunting it would have been going home, going through to the open square and saying, hey, everybody, be quiet, quiet. I'm going to pray in front of everybody. And this is what the Pharisees did. You know, I'm going to make a show of it. So Daniel, number one, he didn't flaunt it, but he also wasn't afraid and hid it. And that's, those are two extremes that unfortunately uh, some can fall into uh, today. And, and listen, for a new believer, it's, you're still getting your sea legs. You're still trying to figure the whole thing out, and that's understandable. But this is really a good guide here, right? Not to be obnoxious, but not to be afraid or hide it. You know, I I hear things about celebrities and sports figures, and I'm always slow to jump on the bandwagon because I know money and fame and pressure and the media can cause self-avowed Christians who are famous to flake. That's my word. It's an old word. And uh, I I wait, and I give it time. But I have to tell you, one person that I've seen, I believe he's really stood the test of time, is Tim Tebow. I know we have some Tim Tebow fans here. I see a lot of smiles. You know, here's a guy who took a beating because of his faith, and he was never obnoxious, as far as I'm concerned. You know, he... He, you know, he talked about his lifestyle. He and being asked questions, the media loves to do this. So they find a, a Christian and they try to press them to get them to say things, or they love to try to get them to say that the Lord Jesus is the only way. And that's where they start. And then he said, I, I plan on remaining a, a virgin until I get married. And they mocked him for that. And I think he suffered financially. I think he suffered through contracts because teams felt he was, he was too controversial and they didn't want to deal with him. So, but, but I like the guy. I, after the test of time, I think he's a pretty solid uh, brother in the Lord. And we need to be praying, especially for those that are having those major pressures, because it's not easy. But sad thing about Daniel is he's being spied on. And you know, this is what's really sad, is they see Daniel's a man of faith, they see he's devout, they see he's unwavering, they see he's an honest and good person, and it doesn't change them. What it does, it just makes them more enraged against him. They have to destroy him. Another person that I think of that most of us know is Pastor Saeed Abedini, who's been a, a, an American, well, he's of Ar- Iranian descent, um, and he was imprisoned in Iran. And check this guy out. All he wanted to do was good, do good for society. He had a heart and love for the Iranian orphans. 
And they don't, their society is very harsh. It's not like ours. You know, orphans are not treated as well as, and sometimes we don't do a good job in our country, but there it's worse. So he was using his own money, his own funding to take care of these kids and really take the burden off of the government, do good for society. However, the government didn't see this as a plus. They didn't see this as they'd have to spend money. They didn't see this as maybe the kids, if they grow up in a functional environment, won't turn to crime and things like that. They just destroyed, they tried to destroy him because he wasn't the, the religion that they were looking for. And I'm going to go back and forth. You're going to say, well, Pastor Joe, you keep saying Daniel and he was Jewish, and then you're talking about Christians. Remember, Daniel now knows the Messiah. He prophesied about the Messiah. So does Abraham. So does Moses. See, in, in, when God enlightens us, you know, in, in the first century and then beyond, everybody got it. Those who died knew what the truth is. So yes, I am going to go back and forth because what Daniel practiced was a precursor to what we believe today. So it's, I find it very interesting. But Now listen, we should be praying for Pastor Saeed, but there's several, not only American prisoners, but other prisoners from other countries, and we can't be narrow-minded. I mean, it's not, Evan Prison is a bad prison. It's brutal. They don't have the same rights that we have in prison in the United States, and the man is suffering health-wise, physically-wise, so it's, it's something that we have to be in constant prayer about. Verse 12. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who was one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver, them, to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So Darius falls into a trap of pride. Everybody needs to worship the king. Now today, oh boy, in, in the narcissistic and celebrity-oriented society we live in, there's probably plenty of people that would have loved that decree. You know, there's very few today in our culture. It's such an infection, and, and it sometimes gets into the church that uh, people don't know how to deny themselves. You know, they'll listen to a preacher on TV who tells them, aggrandize yourself. You know, God's Santa Claus up there. He's, he's got a big knapsack and he wants to just put all these blessings on you you just have to ask in faith and then when the teachings a solid pastor teaches on take up your cross deny yourself which jesus taught they don't want to hear that again it's behavior modification that's why the ones who are who are teaching this almost self-help um gospel light type of thing have tens of thousands and, and ignorant people will say but look at the following they have Remember, Jesus spent his best time dealing with individuals. You know, he, the crowds, he, Jesus wasn't moved by the crowds, wasn't impressed. As a matter of fact, there were times that Jesus tried to get away from the crowds. But this is the society we live in, you know what I'm saying? And it's, it's kind of sad. Right? And I think social media is, can be a very good thing, but could it also be something that, that in, 
Dr. Keith Ablo did some great articles on this, improperly inflates our ego to a point where it's a dangerous level. And then we can't really receive the truth of God's word because it doesn't make us feel good. But verse 13, his accusers is basically saying, Daniel has no regard for you, king, and that's a lie. There's an expression that says that a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still tying its shoes, trying to get ready. But Daniel loved the king, and the king loved him. They had a good relationship. Daniel was a great employee, and he was a good man. He knew he could trust him. That's why he was looking to promote him, maybe to be second only to Darius. But what Daniel wouldn't do, he had to stop short on worshiping the king. I love the king. I'll do anything for the king except blaspheme my God by worshiping the king. So you could say he had no regard for the king, but you know, when you put context into it, lies are really amazing because they can take so much of the truth and put a little bit of a spin on it. You've got to be discerning. And Satan is a good liar, and his ministers are good liars too. And there's plenty of them, unfortunately, in the Christian community. But verse 14, I'll read it again. It says, The king, when he heard these things, was really ticked off at Daniel. He was so upset that Daniel wouldn't worship him. No, actually, it doesn't say that. It says that the king, in case you were sleeping or, or daydreaming, I got your attention. What I love about the king is he could have passed the buck and said, That Daniel, he should have just obeyed the law. But he was greatly displeased with himself. This is an amazing thing with the king. It's powerful. The king takes personal responsibility. And that's very important for us as believers because we can tend to make ourselves feel better by always looking at somebody else. I had a rough childhood. I had a lot of horrible things that I still remember. But I can't use that as an excuse for my behavior today or my needs, or my pride, or whatever the heck I'm doing, all the weird things that happen in our heads that we start to you know, conjure up, and the Lord's like, whoa, 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 back off. That's wrong. Personal responsibility. And not only that, boy, this guy would make a great believer. I don't know if he'd get saved at the end. I hope that he did, and it would be a wonderful testament. It kind of seems based on his decree. Not sure, though. I don't have the answer to that. I know his heart. He's, but he even... There's actions now with that personal responsibility. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm sorry, sorry, get off my back. And it's another thing to, to repent and for, to a change of heart for our actions to actually show it. This guy is broken. He, he realizes what he did and he, he takes the whole night trying to change the course of action and the other guys are putting it in his face. You can't. You signed it. You know you can't break the law. Verse 16, so the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. The lion's den. You know, every regime that has inhumane forms of punishment has their thing. Rome had their Colosseums, Hitler had the gas chambers, Stalin had his gulags and starvation policies, the Babylonians, we read, had the fiery furnace, and the Medo-Persians used the lion's den. Now, I, it was exp- 
I kind of read something about how they, they did it. They sort of had this uh, earthen or type of pit type of structure, and they had barriers, almost like a zoo. And then when they could get the lions to one side, they would put down the barrier, they would put out the water and the meat, let the barrier up, let the lions go across, and eat the meat and the water so that they wouldn't die. However, when they knew an execution was coming up, well, what do you think they did? They were hungry for that day. And it was a good show. Because who wants to wait until the lion's hungry to eat the guy? You throw them in there, you watch. Man, if they're really hungry, they're just going to break bones. You ever see a lion kill flesh to kill a, a gazelle or whatever they do? Boy, there are. It's merciless. But again, it's the animal kingdom. So this is what they would do. You know, if you've seen a movie done very well and not a, a cartoon kids uh, kind of thing on this, let me know. I'd like to see it. I've never seen it done, but you could imagine how dramatic it was when the king was covering you know, rolling the stone or having his guards roll the stone and dripping the wax and putting a signet in there under penalty of death, nobody could break that signet and free Daniel. You could imagine almost if the camera was in the pit looking up at the king as the stone was rolling and the king's expression on his face. Again, not only did he have a good employee, but he had an awesome friend, you know, as a subordinate. He's drawn to, to, to Daniel's character. And you know, people should be drawn to Jesus in our character. True. And if we really are doing the right thing, it's not that we have some magnanimous personality, but it's because they see Jesus through us and they're drawn to that. That's when we know we're really doing it right. And then to try to not allow pride to overtake and stay humble. But what does Darius say? He goes, your God will deliver you. And check it out. This is from an unbeliever at this point. He didn't say our God. He said, Daniel, your God. You've told me so much about him. I've heard things in the, in the Babylonian Chronicles. I've read them. I've heard stories. I've seen some things. This is from an unbeliever. And this is a, this beautiful because this is a statement that should convict, convict much, much of the faithlessness in the church today. You know, every once in a while, God will use somebody who doesn't know him to just say something that's just so profound. It's just a, a spiritual tidbit. You know, I've been going through, I've been, in my life, I've gone through situations and those closest to me know that I try to honor the Lord. And it's probably less a testament to me, I believe, more a testament to the Lord where they'll say, and I've had this quoted to me, Joe, you'll be okay. God is with you. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> and it's just like a shot in the arm. It's just such an encouragement. And who knows, that person may be right for, sal- right for salvation in, in a, a near future time. But verse 17, a signet ring, a rolled stone. Sound familiar? (laughs) Right? The lions were to overtake Daniel and destroy him and roll the stone over, put the signet. By the time we open it up, it's a done deal. It's, it's, It's destruction. Jesus was put in a tomb, and they thought that death could hold him and overtake him, and a stone was rolled and a signet and a ring. But we know that he is risen. Amen? Amen? Verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. There's like a form of entertainment to calm and soothe the monarch. Even Saul, remember David, would play the harp for him. He would play instruments for the king, and it would soothe his, his troubled mind. So the king didn't even want to be soothed at this point. 
And it says, his sleep also went from him. He couldn't sleep. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. Kind of reminds me of the, the tomb, <laughs> the, the women who ran on that Sunday morning to see what was the case with Jesus. Or the disciples ran. Uh, and, the, and the women came early. So here he goes. He's, he's running to the den of, of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Wow. Wow. Do you speak to a dead person if you know that they're dead and they can't answer you? No. The king was practicing faith. It reminds me of, man, there's so many parallels to the Gospels. It reminds me of when Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And he was four days, and, and the, the women said he smelled. There was a stench, and, and the tomb was covered. But Le Jesus called Lazarus anyway, because he knew he had the power to revive him. He knew he was alive. And in the same case, the king had faith that Daniel's God was going to deliver him. Isn't that amazing? It was the king's decree. It was the king's pride. It was the king's lions then, the king's lion. Lions, maybe he knew some of them. Don't know. Maybe he had some favorites. It was everything of the king's own doing, but he knew that Daniel's God could be stronger. He was stronger than that, and he turned out to be right. I love this. When you befriend somebody in high office or somebody with authority or power, that we don't try to get something from them. But what we try to do is give them something. Their autograph, you know, money. What we have is so much more precious, Jesus Christ. And when we don't gush over somebody who's powerful and famous, then they see something different than all the other people that throng them because they're famous. What would we do, Christian, if we were to be introduced to someone famous? I don't care who it is. I don't care if it was the President of the United States. I like to sit down with him and give him the gospel. Because honestly, I don't think he knows it. Okay? Everybody deserves a chance at salvation. I don't care who it is. Republicans, Democrats, the governor. doesn't matter. Sports figures. And the cool thing is when you set out to do that, and you're, you're ready. You're prayed up and you're ready to go. And then the person smiles and they shake your hand or hug you because they already know the Lord. And then you have a good laugh together. You came here to tell me about Jesus. <laughs> so then you can fellowship together. But in Acts 26, King Agrippa said to the Apostle Paul, Paul's going through the courts. Agrippa, Paul is laying a heavy gospel trip on, on, the, on the king. And he says, quote, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Apostle Paul was so convincing. Even in his position of servitude, he had so much power. And maybe the king wanted to save face in front of his court. And maybe the king got saved later, I don't know. But the Apostle Paul was the real deal. He was genuine. Read verse 20 again. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Again, powerful expression of faith. Verse 21, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. 
So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. Imagine the king's expression when he heard Daniel's voice coming back at him. Right back at you. O king, live forever. Now, just so you understand, Daniel wasn't saying, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to worship you. Live forever. That's not what he was saying. When we study history and the times, we, we start to get what the vernacular, what the, you know, the slang and all, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. O king, live forever was just a term of, of expression of respect. They saw kings die every day, so they weren't thinking that he was actually a god. As a matter of fact, the fact that Daniel wouldn't worship him, worship him as deity was the reason why he was in the den at the first place. Verse 24. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. This is just how it was back then. Daniel had no control over this. As you remember in earlier chapters when Nebuchadnezzar was trying to kill everybody, Daniel was like, no, 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 give them a chance. He was, he was able to do that. But maybe in this situation, because of the Medes and the Pers- Persians' laws, king made a decree, round them up, throw them in the den. Daniel knew it was nothing he could do. So, you know, people say, oh, the Bible is so this and God is so that. No, that's an overgeneralization. You've got to take it in context. This was a, the, will, the free will of Darius the king. All right? And this is what happened. Verse 25, last few verses. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Can you legislate morality? Depends on how you look at that question. Okay. If it's not in their heart, they're not going to. But they'll do it just for the king's sake. They'll, they'll pretend they're trembling before Yahweh. But, you know. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. The kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, remember, this takes place in modern-day Iran. I just love playing with geography and history. It's a lot of fun. I read a quote because then my mind starts going in all these places. There was a faith. There was a Jewish faith. There was a Christian faith in Iran. What happened? Well, I'm just going to read something briefly here. According to Christians and the Christian converts in Iran, it says, Christianity has a long history in Iran dating back to the early years of the faith. It has been practiced in Iran longer than the state religion Islam, more specifically Shia Islam. It has always been a minority religion with the majority state religions. Zoroastrianism before the Islamic conquest, Sunni Islam in the Middle Ages, and Shia Islam in modern times though it had a much larger representation in the past than it does today. Christians of Iran have played a significant part of the history of Christian missions. The more we understand about the world, the more we understand why things are. You know, the war between Iran and Iraq many years ago was really because uh, uh, Iran went Shia, and those that were dominating Iraq were mostly Sunni. So they were right on the border just slaughtering each other for many years. Daniel and the believing Jews had a major effect prior to the first century. 
Now remember, let's tie this all together because this is fun for me. The Magi that came from the east to see the Christ child, they came from the area of Iran. And I've done studies on this in Christmas messages. They came to honor the Jewish Messiah. And then they brought Christianity back to Iran. Right? It all comes together, doesn't it? Collusion, different languages, different geographies, different times, different men. Where's the collusion? They didn't even know each other, the ones that wrote those different Gospels versus what was written in Daniel. You know, most of us are familiar with Iran if you're, you know, my age or, or younger. We're familiar with 36 years ago, the Islamic Revolution and Iran completely changing to mullahs dominating that country. But for those that are older than me, you remember a time when Iran was not like that. And Christianity now became a, um, an underground religion because Shia, would, Shia Islam would not have it. Just the conclusion, just to bring a few things together. Let's talk about Daniel and his possible mindset through all this. Again, does anybody get the idea that Daniel had a, a good life, an easy life? Scratch that, good life, relationship with God, yes, good life. An easy life? And the answer is no. Let's look at this. Take these chapters all together. Daniel 1 was taken from his homeland as a teen, forced into a different culture, different language, different lifestyle, different foods, and a life of servitude. 2. Daniel was always around people that were trying to hurt him or kill him. Maybe he had very few friends. And a lot of the Jews were compromisers because they just wanted to go along to get along in that society. 3. Yes, he was delivered from the food test in Daniel 1, from execution in Daniel 2, from the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar, who was a hothead, <laughs> on several occasions, and four, from harm from the Medo-Persians when they took over in chapter 5, and also the lion's den in chapter 6. Did you ever think at some point he might have said to himself, okay, I trust God, but this might be the time where he doesn't save me. This is the time where this is my, my time is up. He left it up to the sovereignty of God. I'm going to do some research on this, but I don't think Daniel ever got to see his homeland again. Does that sound like an easy life? I don't think so. You know, his, the temple that was destroyed in his lifetime, the religion that was, was overcome and scattered, right? He took his faith with him from Judah all the way to Babylon. That's an awesome thing as Christians. Whatever happens to us, God is always with us if we have a relationship with the Lord. But he didn't have an easy life. I'll tell you what an easy life would have been if Daniel grew up in Judean royalty, was allowed to continue to grow up, rising through the ranks at home and never facing persecution. You would have seen an easy life. But maybe he wouldn't have the character that he had as we go through this. You know, we can know so much about the Bible up here but things really change when we have to live it out. And sometimes as Christians, I'm just going to be honest. Man, I have bad days, I have bad weeks, I have bad months, I have bad years. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I'm, there's times I've come to God and continually said, Lord, oh, this, this situation's killing me. I just need, really need your help. And I'm just talking to him constantly about the situation. So listen, we're human beings. But the tendency is to get annoyed or feel separated or whatever and that's not reality we can know the bible then we have to learn the bible we have to live out the things that the bible says well daniel had a literal lion's den to deal with 
Our lions then might be financial, health-wise, relationship, or a forced look at ourselves. We know Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour and destroy. He's always looking for an opportunity. So what is your lion's den this morning? I bet a lot of you have it right up here, and it's just sitting there. <laughs> a lot of smiles, a lot of laughs, a lot of frowns. You know, you may have no choice. Daniel could not escape the lion's den. He had to submit to it. There was no way he was getting out of this. But God was in the den with him. And for your lion's den, there may no, be no escape from it. I love it when God says, I'm going to deliver you from it. I don't like when he says, I'm going to deliver you through it. Oh. I like from, I don't like through. None of us like through, we like from. Preachers on, on TV will tell you it's always going to be from. You just got to have enough faith. Daniel trusted God through the lion's den. We need to trust God. And every time we go through it, God will show us something different. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.